Do you look for American-made products? I invite you to check out JNS Supply, a small Texas company, where we built our brand on God, family, and country. We provide quality, limited-run American-made clothes. Our current run is Relax Fit T-shirt. Use promo code Liberty to get 15% off your order. Come to JNSSupply.co. J-N-S-S-U-P-P-L-Y dot C-O. JNSSupply.co. God, family, country. Welcome back to Liberty Matters, where Sean and I are discussing current events and connecting the dots through a conservative worldview with an aim to put faith back into politics. Um, so before we jump into today, Sean, how, uh, how are you doing over there? Doing good, man. How are you? Good, man. It's, it's Thanksgiving week, so it's going to be, you know, good time with the family. So it'll be, you know, nothing too eventful, I love but these- it'll, be, it'll be good. I love these sl- slow weeks, right? You don't need to take off. Nice, relaxing. Oh, yeah. cup is on. It's a good week. It'll be good as long as uh, I'll see if the U.S. cannot screw up like we did yesterday against Wales and come out uh, with a draw in the first game. So we, we'll see. We, we look like typical U.S. score oh. and then take our foot off the gas. Well, like we controlled the whole game really well, yet we could not finish. Right. So yeah. it doesn't matter if you control the whole game. If you can't finish, then we give up a late penalty, which kind of handed just, back the tie to Gareth Bale. So mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, that could be we could make a whole podcast talking about where the how the U.S. is going to screw up in the World Cup. Um, <laughs> aside from them trying to put up their little LGBT gay pride flags um, for the World Cup. And yet they actually didn't go ahead and do it because it's illegal in Qatar. So Shocker. conveniently, all these countries are magically so they hate all of trying to attack anyone that stands to have their own opinion or question anything about the LGBT movement. But, you know, when it actually push comes to shove, they just didn't actually, you know, follow through with what they claimed they were going to do. But we'll see. It's still early. There's still time for the U.S. to do something ridiculous. Um, so, uh, for the show today, we have, it's a little bit different. We're going to do this one. It's going to be a Thanksgiving special. Uh, and the main premise, honestly, Sean, like we're going to dig into it today. It really gets into the actual history of, um, Thanksgiving. And as this is, it, look, it's Thanksgiving week and it's important time for us to discuss this, what we as Americans of the U S and citizens should be thankful for. Right. So it's really, that's where we're going to go with the show today. It's not going to be as much in the past, like typically we're like, oh, talk about from current events and other stuff, but we think it's very important to kind of lay out what the history is. And honestly, the Christian heritage that came into the founding through the pilgrims and the actual founding of the nation, actually what the real Thanksgiving story is and not this rewritten version, right? I'm, I'm super excited about this. I think one thing that we should all be concerned about is the rewritten uh, progress of history, right? We're... Yeah, seems like every every day something is coming out is trying to rewrite history or, or trying to change the narrative in, in history. And uh, I think that, you know, getting the opportunity to state the facts is super awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's right. Like in this episode, that's exactly what we're going to go after. Right. So it's the actual history that shaped Thanksgiving. 
and which kind of turned and shaped what modern America is as we know it, right? This is not like Sean, you mentioned, it's not the rewritten version, as we often hear today, that America's horrible. Um, they should that Thanksgiving should actually be a day of mourning because the colonists came in. Actually, not the colonists at that point, but the pilgrims when they came in at that time uh, slaughtered the Native Americans, and America's so evil. It's all this um, view that completely misrepresents the actual founding history, right? And, and this is where, and we've mentioned this in one of our some of our episodes before, even talking about some George Washington history. You have to actually go back to the history, to the original sources, to see what happened at that time, right? So part of this going back and preparing this episode, we dug back through um, one of the pilgrims who came over, governor who became the governor of Plymouth Colony's, uh, his own journal, Governor William Bradford, and taking a lot of stuff from his notes and other various um, historians like Rod Gregg and some others pulling together between like material from like David Barton, Rod Gregg, who else do we have, like William Federer, and a couple bunch of other ones, right? Like pulling together real action and all stuff and individuals that pulled material from the original source, going back to Will Governor William Bradford's journal and what actually happened in the Pilgrim's journey. What was it like? Why, were the, where, why they came to America? What were they escaping from in England? And that's kind of what we're going to try and lay out um, here today because um, what you often hear today is just this one side of view that misrepresents the full picture, right? The true and honest picture of that time period. And this is, look, look, it's not to say that there wasn't harms done to Native Americans, but the story is not so narrow as they would like you to believe. It's not as narrow as this limited view that you're told, whether we've been through our education system, reading our, or if you look at our textbooks in schools today. Um, the history of Thanksgiving, Native Americans, and pilgrims is actually a story of friendship. It's not the story of how horrible America is. So, Again, this is why it's something for us to be thankful for, but you have to actually understand the history, what actually occurred. So you go back and read and actually understand from what people at the time that were there and their words, what was occurring, right? So, and look, it's not something hard to find, but at this point in society, you need to do your own homework to find it. Like, so what, and to start off, just to lay out, like, with it, you can find this stuff, but it's just, if you look inside the US Capitol Rotunda today, there's still a very large picture in there that's titled The Embarkation of the of the Pilgrim at Delf, Delfts Haven, Holland, dated July 2nd, uh, July 22nd, 1620. And this painting was by Robert Weir, and it was placed in the rotunda and has been there since 1843. Right? So this painting, and the reason I mention this is because the history is there, but yet if you actually look in your textbook, they tell you a whole different history, right? But it's sitting in our capital rotunda. And this work depicts the pilgrim leaders in prayer, including Pastor John Robinson, Governor John Carver, uh, Governor William Bradford, who was, like I mentioned previously, the uh, governor, the future governor of the Plymouth Colony. And this also included millions of military leaders, Miles Standish, and a few others in that painting, right? And in this scene, you see the elder, William Brewster, who also served as their interim pastor in America who has, has a Bible opened on his lap. In the painting, sitting in our Capitol Rotunda, there's a pastor with a Bible sitting on his lap. That's open, right? And it's written on those words in the painting. You see it says, quote, the New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, end quote. And on the sail, in the back, you can see behind these, uh, the individuals all sitting around the pastor with the open Bible, you, there's a sail that says, you can see the, the phrase, 
God with us on the sale, right? Which accurately describes the belief of all these men and women at that time. As much as history wants to be rewritten, that's what they actually believed at the time, right? So this version, and I'm, the reason I'm trying to weigh down this fashion is, right, to understand why. So you, you see the history is there. You can find it. You can see it. You just have to actually go do your own homework for it, right? But so in this painting, the reason I mentioned this painting in particular, because it points to what Brewster's holding was actually the Geneva Bible, which was the primary Bible at the time of uh, the English Reformation that the pilgrims and the Puritans primarily used, which is important because that Bible was the very first Bible that was published back in 1560 by English reformers that were fleeing religious persecution at the hands of the state-established Church of England. And like I said in the show, you heard us before, people that want to say, though, we put Christianity in, into society, that, they, that the biggest myth is they want to say you want to create a theocracy. That is not at all what anyone wants to do um, because that's exactly what we, the founding of this nation, was started and left from when we got away from England, right? So um, that book, the Bible that was sitting in his lap, the Geneva Bible, was written by the reformers. Um, at the time, right? And in particular, they were what they were fleeing, right? So what were these pilgrims fleeing? They were fleeing Queen Mary's rule. Now, Queen Mary is what her was also goes by the known as the term Bloody Mary. Um, Mary was the daughter of King Henry VIII, who died in 1547. And his son, Edward I, was actually the one who's the heir who took over the reign in England um, at only the age of nine years old. But he died six years later, which then came in Queen Mary's reign for the next five years until Queen Elizabeth took over. And this Bible, like in this Bible, you, you could go back and see the uniqueness that lies within what, how it was written because they had a ton of like marginal commentary in the sides of like the Bible. And it, that it was written, the commentaries were written by the reformers. And these commentaries uh, regularly challenged the corrupt European culture of the day and most importantly were critical of the practices that violated god's word whether it was in the government's education the legal systems the law the culture or in within organized religion so these the bible that was the reformers were holding that the pilgrims were holding in that painting it goes and questions what queen queen elizabeth and it goes against questioning queen mary and what they were believed to be doing because at the time um they believed that you should worship the queen or, and King Hen King Henry VIII wanted before that. He wanted himself to be worshiped. Um, and the Christians at the time were strongly against this one because they believed and followed the holy inherent word of God. And that, so this um, was their basis for, obviously within the Bible, in the Geneva Bible, they wrote in the, the reformers commentaries was the basis of what they put in there with the reformers realizing how flawed civil and religious institutions of Europe were at that time. And this even led many of the pilgrims to attend non-state uh, non church led by reformer John Greenwood and or another by Reverend John Robinson. John Greenwood um, actually objected to any monarch claiming that they are, to, they are the head of the church, which again goes back to what I said is that the people wanted uh, Queen Mary, Queen Elizabeth, King Henry VIII, they all believe that the citizenry should worship them, right? So then you have uh, Reverend John Greenwood here objecting to the monarch, claiming that they're the head of the church, which during his time, it was Queen Elizabeth. And as in his words, he quote, he wrote and said, there could be but one head of the church and that head 
was not the queen, but Christ. And with this declaration, he was charged with, quote, denying her majesty's ecclesiastical supremacy and attacking her existing ecclesiastical order. And what was the result for John Greenwood? He was executed by the queen, right? So this is just one example of the, the many religious persecutions that were occurring by these English monarchs who they themselves were believing themselves to be God. And they demanded with having this state church of England that everyone, again, worship themselves as God. Uh, and that's what the reformers were starting to learn and figure out here through reading the Geneva Bible in that time of saying, like, look, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Christ is king, and this is exactly who you're supposed to follow. So you have these um, individuals that are putting themselves in the position as God, which is exactly false. And so during this time period, pilgrims started escaping to Holland, right? And however, after 12 years, they realized they preferred the English culture and became concerned with their um, for their children, the faith of their children, right? And they decided to move to America for the sole purpose of freely worshiping God, raising godly children, and sharing wonderful truths of Christian gospel with others. And if you don't believe this, even again, like, look, you can go back to the Plymouth governor's own written original journal where he stated, quote, a great, with, with great hope and inward zeal for the propagating and advancing of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in those remote parts of the world, end quote. And right there, what he was saying was their purpose of why they were going to the new world because they were going to advance the kingdom of Christ, right? And he specifically points this out. What? Um, so again, so now as the Christians and the reformers are all uh, the pilgrims were starting to fully England for religious persecution, this led to ships carrying the pilgrims to America. And one of the main ones that we've all known and heard about was the Mayflower, right? We've sung songs about it Been like, I mean, half of us in growing up, you had, were putting plays about it when you're in like an elementary school, um, I mean, I don't know, Sean, it might be like a woke version of plays they do today. I don't even know what they do. Um, it, but but you weren't told the full story of what actually occurred inside the Mayflower. So the Mayflower, it set sail for America in the early of the fall of 1620 with 102, quote, pilgrims and strangers, end quote. There's a reason I say that, because the pilgrims actually got their name from the Bible verse, 1 Peter 2.11, and... Yes, if you actually go look in the different translations of the Bible, but go look back at the New King James Version or the King James Version, it actually says pilgrims. Um, but like other translations, you'll see it as exiles, right? But they meant the same thing. That's what a, a pilgrim was in exile. And that's exactly what these Christians were in exile from England. Um, and right before setting sail, it goes back to Reverend John Robinson, who actually gave a sermon an emotional send-off to the pilgrims right he wanted to go with them but he couldn't and he realized because he had to stay with his congregation in england um but he gave an emotional sermon before sending him off and in his sermon to the departing pilgrims he ba it was based on ezra eight twenty one, which is about ezra leading the remnant of jews from exile to the promised land of israel now so ezra eight twenty one, just for what it says it says therefore by the ahave canal i proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. 
So that's exactly what Reverend John Robinson preached in his sermon to pray over the pilgrims before they set sail to America. And in that ship, in the sailing, right, it took 66 days before they touched the shores of America. And this trip wasn't, it was filled with turmoil and it was filled with death and people are getting sick. It wasn't like some, you're taking the carnival cruise run, right? It wasn't, uh, the cleanliness, right? There was very small stowaway cabin underneath, like people have very tight room and ability to move around. Most adults, there wasn't even enough height room for them to stand up. Children could stand up and walk around, but it was too cramped for them to even actually walk around. And there wasn't toilets. It wasn't like, uh, one point, uh, that I wanted to, want to talk about real quick that, that I think is, is missed sometimes, right. In, in the context of when they left. And, and I think it's, right for for the time of year that we're in six the fall of 1620 what happens in the atlantic ocean in the fall <laughs> hurricanes right so they were going through tropical storms and hurricanes just to get to america right so that's the yeah. the storms that they weren't they weren't just like rainstorms right they were tropical potentially hurricanes that they were trying to traverse as they made their journey across the Atlantic. Yeah, and that's a fair statement because it's important to know that timing, right? So they came in the fall of 1620, but they were actually supposed to leave, I think it might have been in June or July or actually not May, whatever it was, in like the late spring, early summer was their original plan, right? And when these 102 pilgrims came to get on a ship, right, they were supposed, there was actually supposed to be another ship called the Speedwell. And the Speedwell set sail three different times, but it was sabotaged. Because somebody didn't want it to work, want them to get across. So they had to keep coming back. The Mayflower, they came back and they didn't actually set fully set sail until the fall, which, yeah, would have been nicer and smoother sailing during the summer months. But it came, they actually, by the Providence, and it landed them to come through a very turbulent time with the weather and everything. And not to mention the cooler weather that starts coming in, right? Um, to come in the fall. And it, it, in Sean, with that, with the, turbulent storms and everything right there was one story that i think is amazes me because it's about halfway through the trip um they, like, there's two things actually leading to this two stories right so about halfway through the trip the pilgrims were actually doing their daily bible reading um from their scripture and there was a point that they said in william bradford's notes he says he there was a it felt like there was a it was there was placed in the bible just for them and that daily scripture for the day was from psalm 107 23 through 31 and look, this again is a, it's a, a glorious psalm of thanksgiving, which expresses the gratitude of various groups of people who are experiencing God's watchful care over their lives. And it says in Psalm uh, 107, 23 through 31, that those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands... And raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up their mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. They're at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distress. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Um, so in fact, 
the reason it was very interesting because around this time when the storm hit them, this is, leads me to the bigger point of why this is a maiden story. So that's the Bible verse, their daily scripture reading that they hit, and they were running through their day at that time, right? So the, at the, that point, roughly around that point, there was a violent storm that hit and broke actually the, main, the ship's main beam. And this is the main beam that was one of the ones that largely held the ship together. They didn't be in the little space, like I said, they had earlier, like even for the people below the ship, they barely had tools to fix anything. But back during the times before the pilgrims were being driven out of England and they went to Holland in where they were actually, when they were still publishing material for their congregation to explain their biblical doctrine and their beliefs to the public, the Dutch officials didn't actually want them to do this. So they went back in and confiscated all the printing tools and materials to prevent any publishing. Um, from the pilgrims on their biblical doctrine and their uh, religious beliefs. Thus, the only way the pilgrims were left with at that time, they had this giant printing press and nothing to print on. And for some strange reason, they decided to bring this uh, printing press along with them at which onto that ship, right? So you're a very tight ship. There's not a lot of space, but you decide to bring this basically what's a giant paperweight. And by God, by God's divine providence, the main piece of that printing press was a really large jack screw, and that jack screw was exactly what the pilgrims needed to raise the broken beam back into place where it could be secured, thus saving the lives of everyone on the ship and letting them be able to continue forward to make it to America. I just found it very interesting the timing. and I love that story because it's just a part of like, as they were praying for this and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they got the idea and God put it into someone and said, hey, you need to take this giant printing press that's a paperweight. It made no sense to anyone, but guess what? There was a reason for it. And that helped them make it through the journey and make it safely to America. If you just look at how the failure of this one ship of the Mayflower not making America would not would have, um, like what would that impact have been? Uh, well, just look at one guy that was on that ship. And there are many stories of the pilgrims that came off that ship, right? This guy, John Howland. Because Howland lived, he had 10 children and then grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so forth. A very long family line, right? Down generations and generations. And if you trail it all the way back through some of the people that we have, there's actually some people that you have all heard of, their family lines that lead back to this one guy. That if he didn't make it on that ship, a lot of what you know and people you know in America, would be it would be all different today. And this includes three different presidents, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, George H.W. Bush George and George W. Bush. This includes the wife of Teddy Roosevelt, Edith Roosevelt. Uh, this included one of the signers of the U.S. Constitution, Nathaniel Gorham. Uh, this included Governors Jed Bush and Sarah Palin and poets Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And even from Hollywood, this included Humphrey Bogart, Christopher Lloyd, and Chevy Chase. I mean, look, you can go back and check any of these. Like, go to, There's a website... That comes up through it's a that pilgrim john howland and society.org and howland is h-o-w-l-a-n-d right you could check it out but it's just very interesting sean i found that i was like look if you take these stories and realize just one thing could happen differently and that could reshape generations as we know it but it didn't happen because through divine god's divine providence that jack screw the printing press that was on the ship it saved the ship and made it to america john holland made it to america Thus, we have a long family tree that connects all the way in many different spreads off in many different directions, but it all connects back to that one ship and how the John Holland came across the ocean. Um, 
So when the Mayflower actually finally pulled up ashore to Cape Cod in Massachusetts area before exiting the ship, the pilgrims realized they had uh, basically come to a place that had no official governance. And so they had, what did they end up drafting? They had a draft, what everyone you've all mostly probably heard about, uh, which was called the Mayflower Compact, which again, Sean, this is why I find funny, right? So people say like, oh, this nation wasn't founded with Christian influence and Christian values and, and any of it, right? But what exactly did this for one of the very, the very first governing documents written in the new world, what did it say? It said, part of it said, quote, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advance, advancement of Christian faith and the the honoring of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these pr presents, presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together in a civil body politic. So it placed the pilgrim civil government on a firm Christian basis and was the beginning of the American constitutional government as we know it. That was the very first written document to set the foundation for American constitutional government. And it was for the advancement of Christian faith and for the glory of God. And you can go read this right back into the Mayflower Compact. That's exactly in there. That's just some of the backstory on the pilgrims and why they came to America fleeing from religious persecution of England, right? So it wasn't just this view that these random pilgrims came to America to with this, as you hear from many today in this rewritten version of history, that they came to America to just take over land, colonize, and slaughter Native Americans. That's not remotely the case, right? So let's get into that side with the Native Americans relationship and Thanksgiving itself. So now that we know that the pilgrims fled England for persecution when they came to America and, and the Native American side. So one thing to note, like, right, when now that they're being in this, they came to Massachusetts and it was the fall, as we talked about earlier, Sean, it, it started to get colder and the days were very difficult for them. And they came at a time you know, when winter was beginning. Um, and as it began to set in, it's not like have shelter. They didn't have food. They weren't prepared for the harsh conditions that even further made people really sick. And honestly, through that winter, half the pilgrims didn't make it and they got wiped out. In the spring, they had their very first interaction with Native, a Native American. And despite the stories of, this, of the savagery and barbaric behavior, which existed in many of the Native tribes, even to the point where they would kill rival tribes, they would eat them, right? So apparently in a lot of rival tribes, they actually celebrated cannibalism and literally eat the men in rival tribes and enslave the women from rival tribes and rape the women and children in rival tribes. But that's not what you're actually told in the real, unless you actually go look in the real history of what actually occurred in those times. But the natives and the pilgrims actually met during that time and they actually met without any incident. They met, um, so the pilgrims met a native named uh, Samoset who spoke broken English, and he learned this from various English explorers and fishermen who passed through the through the coast, right? And Samoset warned the pilgrims that the land they were on, was living on, was actually previously to the Patoxet uh, tribe that they resided there, and they were actually wiped out by a strange plague. And there was even any of the neighboring tribes, they didn't want to move in there because they thought it was if impacted by a supernatural spirit. Then if they moved there, they figured, ah, that probably he might kill, it might kill us too. So thus this land was left abandoned and open to the pilgrims. So Samoset also warned the pilgrims that many of the natives, the other tribes, 
that they encountered would likely be very hostile to them. And they learned a lot of this, a lot from Samoset. And in keeping with the biblical character of the pilgrims, they treated him as a friend. Samoset, in turn, when he finally said that he would bring back the neighboring Wampanoag tribe to visit, he did exactly that. He was true to his word, and he brought the Wampanoag tribe over to visit. Um, and he brought Chief Massasoit and some of his men. They And while they were there, they drafted a peace treaty between the Wampanoag tribe and the pilgrims. And one of the men was that he actually brought with him was actually Squanto, which because Squanto was actually the only surviving member of the Patoxet tribe. Now, he actually survived because during the time of the plague that wiped out his tribe, he was actually taken back to Spain previously as a slave. And it was Catholic friars who learned of this. It was religious leaders who learned of this. And they stepped in and purchased Squanto's freedom. And it was in it was then in Spain that he was introduced to Christianity. And then the English, as he worked his way back to Eng- he worked his way back to England and he learned more about English customs and culture, which he became a big fan of. So that's actually when he finally got his worked his way back and got onto an English ship and made it his way back over to America. And when he got back to America, that's when Squanto learned for the first time that his entire tribe was wiped out by the plague. So Squanto, like being Squanto was at that time, Sean, this is why it's so interesting. Squanto is probably the only living person at the time who could have effectively bridged the gap between the two cultures. I mean, at the time when Squanto came back, he took up living with the Wampanoag tribe, right? Because his whole tribe was wiped out. So, but as they interacted with the pilgrims, his background and understanding of the English cultures and customs and Christianity, he was already aware of it. He could speak the language. And also he can speak, obviously, from being Native American, working with the Wampanoag tribe. He can bridge the gap that no one else and probably in that whole entire alive at that time could have done better. And of all places, there he was at that point in time, right there before the pilgrims. So what Squanto chose to do at this point was actually stay with the pilgrims because he saw it to be his life's purpose to help them thrive on the new land and live on the land. And he wanted to teach them how to hunt, fish, and raise crops. And it was with Squanto's help that the pilgrims uh, had enough food to survive their their second winter. So things were starting to look a lot brighter for the pilgrims' future, all thanks to the Native Americans, the Wampanoag tribe, and Squanto. And it was actually then that Governor William Bradford appointed a day of Thanksgiving for they had much to be grateful for. And they survived their first full year living in the wilderness. And Squanto's amazing help helped garnish a good harvest for them to to survive their second winter. And grateful for these blessings, they actually invited the Wampanoag neighbors to celebrate and give thanks to God with them. Chief Massasoit and some 90 of his men came and feasted with the remaining pilgrims. And their feast, like, look, so this is what their Thanksgiving actually occurred. Actual Thanksgiving consisted of. They feasted and they engaged in athletic competition, like, um, that included, like, running, wrestling, shooting. And they actually had so much fun that the festivities went on for three days. I I mean, Sean, I don't know about you. I don't know how, how... that sounds like a pretty fun Thanksgiving to me to celebrate, but <laughs> which doesn't make sense though, right? Like, well, often today, all we hear is this narrative of rewritten history that the Indians hated the pilgrims. And down the road, you heard it, they hated the colonists because of, as you always hear, they were, quote, they were because they're land grabbing 
and their racist disdain for Native Americans. But the land they came on was abandoned, so it wasn't land grabbing. And in fact, there's actually plenty of documentary that you can go out and find the, the, the deeds and the contracts and everything that all the land they did get, actually the pilgrims purchased fair market value that they had agreed upon with the Native Americans for a purchase price in a written contracts. All the original source materials, all there that you can actually go see for yourself. Um, but this idea with this very, this first Thanksgiving, it actually shows the whole theory of this idea that you hear today of the, the pilgrims were land grabbing, they're racist, they had racist disdain for natives. This first Thanksgiving shows all that to be complete, utter nonsense. And for it to be nothing but illogical and untrue. In fact, like Sean, the funny part when you think about this is there was only 53 pilgrims as half got wiped out the previous winter. And it was made up of four women, 14 young boys and girls, 13 infants and young children, and only 22 men. Like, so the Native Americans came with 90, 90, that they were all warriors. If there was ever a time that they didn't get along, if there was ever a time they could have easily wiped out the pilgrims and it could have been gone from history books, never would have heard of again. Uh, you think they could have done it right then and there when they had 90, 90 warriors that could have just wiped out the 53 pilgrims, including only 22 men, but that didn't happen, which gets back to the whole point that we're making here. What did actually happen at that time is they celebrated, they came together, they prayed and thanked God, and they came together to have a feast and f- celebrate in, f- in friendship. That's the difference of the story, Sean, that we often don't hear today. It all came from a, f- a heritage of friendship and a position of how they helped each other and squant to understand like, hey, I want to help them survive here because he understood their value of sacrifice and servitude. So yeah, that, that's just a little bit like the real Thanksgiving story, kind of where it came from, uh, what it was, where it means, and what the real relationship between the Native Americans, between Samoset, the Squanto, um, the Wampanoag tribe, and how the land that the pilgrims came to in the Plymouth colony was actually abandoned because, because the Potoxic tribe got wiped out by a plague previously. It wasn't that they came in and just stole the land as they would like you to believe in the rewritten history of today in this Howard Zinn model of rewriting history. That's the, uh, it's, cause it's always, it's a good reminder of like, without a lot of this stuff that happened, right? Without the jack screw being in the ship from that printing press that was basically useless, none of this would have happened. The Wampanoag tribe could have wiped the pilgrims out even when they got to America, but that didn't happen. The pilgrims were very deep in their faith and they wrote that in the Mayflower Compact. It was for the advancement and the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. And that's what they continue to focus on. And that's what they continue to spread. And they taught Christianity to the Native Americans. Yeah, and he was a big uh, supporter of, of further English settlers coming over to the New World and, and working with the Native American tribes to build that, that kind of peace treaty between the new settlers and, and the Native Americans here. He helped... Uh, the folks in in New York, he helped some other folks in uh, in Massachusetts uh, work out peace treaties between English settlers and Native Americans. Uh, and he was actually governor of the Plymouth uh, Colony. I forget what it was yeah, called for, for William, thirty. William yeah, for thirty Bradford years. Was there. Yeah, he was a thirty-year so, governor. Um, huge, huge. Well, they had a ton of impact piece of to the history area. that's just not not talked about. As we're coming up on this week with Thanksgiving, um, it's really we should really need to sit back and understand the history and the roots of Thanksgiving, right? 
And it's a big piece of history, right? They skip the book. Like you have what's it, the New York Times 1619 project completely rewriting history of this giant racist event. And that's it completely misrepresents the actual history because they don't go back to the original source material. You can anyone could go read Governor William Bradford's journal. Right. It's been transposed and like you can read it. Yeah, I, I think that that's, you know, when you're trying to drive a narrative and that, you know, all people are bad, uh, there's there's actual factual documentation that's available for you to do your research. I think the problem is and what we're trying to call out is, you know, never lose faith in God and be willing to do your own research, because, uh, you know, what you hear in the mainstream networks may not always be the facts. Yeah. Now, especially when it comes into history, right? Because they need to rewrite history. So if you're not aware of it, it's easier to manipulate you in the future. Because again, when we tell this whole history, right, from the Christian roots and how this founding came from the pilgrims came in and the story of Thanksgiving, right? As we talk about it, Sean, if they can rewrite that out, it changes this whole view of why they say Christianity is so horrible and why like religion itself is horrible and why it needs to be driven out of this country because they again need you to worship the government they need you to worship the green energy religion right it's religion in itself right they needed you to worship these things which again I point back to the same thing why the pilgrims had left England because of religious persecution there's a lot of parallels to that that are starting to occur today that you see religious persecution everywhere and it's Becoming more prominent right here in the U.S. Because why? Because they've rewritten the history to teach people the net, to dilute it down to this idea for something that if you don't ever know what ever happened, well, then they can make you feel like this is all something crazy and new. Well, no, this has all been done before. That's all I wanted to – we wanted to lay out, kind of talk about the true history of Thanksgiving. It's an, it's an amazing story, and it's something that we need to be thankful for, right? Because without it, we would not be here, and it would not be the America as we know it. Even look, some things look, we're still always, always worked and proving. It, it hasn't been perfect, and it's far from perfect today, right? But we point back in the right direction, and we can get on the right path. So with that, happy have a happy Thanksgiving. Have a great week, as it is but – for the divine providence that this nation will not be here today. Again, this is another thing that we are very thankful for because we come back to be that shining beacon on the hill, that light for the future, uh, for other generations to follow. And we can get back to it. We just have to understand where we are and where we came from and develop off that to where we can go in the future. If you guys want to give us a follow, a like, a subscribe, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Follow us on most social media platforms at The Liberty Matters. Have a great week. Uh, remember all to stand for truth, kneel for God, be the light. God bless America. Yeah.